1: I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> it's
2: probably, like getting great ten sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time. Whether you know, there's two types of turds: you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're we're we are about players and players playing the plays, and not necessarily the plays.
0: Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Joining me this week, I am happy to have Brandon Vogel, Hale Varsity's managing editor. Brandon, hello. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, how are you?
0: I'm good. Um, Hopefully this uh, podcast doesn't get interrupted by an Aaron Judge cut in. Um, How did you feel about that, by the way?
1: Um, as a kind of lapsed baseball fan, I was maybe more amenable to it than college football Twitter at large, I guess, would would uh, would be the way to put that. But there were definite moments. I don't even remember what game it was I was watching on Saturday uh, this past past weekend. And it was kind of pivotal, like third down or something. And I was like, you know, I'd at least like to have the audio before Aaron judge, you know, fouls off three straight pitches on a two, two count. And then, you know, I think he singled on, on that one. So that said, if it wasn't a Yankee, I probably would have liked it even more uh, Then, but what can you do?
0: I, have you seen um, Tulane did a uniform reveal for this upcoming week? They did it on Twitter and they showed the cleats, and as the video was panning up, like, to, to see the rest of the uniform, they cut to footage of Aaron Judge hitting baseball. <laughs>
1: no I haven't seen yet seen that but that is that is absolutely beautiful
0: uh Tulane Tulane has just completely yeah they've just completely leaned into it they're like we got disrespected we don't want to do this again and so they're just taking the joke and running with it I appreciate it um yeah it was one of those things where it was like I've never seen college football twitter so up in arms about something and it was just like seemingly everybody was like stop showing us baseball we want to watch football or at least don't take the audio away from us just let us keep watching football in the corner um, that was funny. Did he hit it? So, are we done with this? We don't have to deal with this anymore. He
1: did. He. I mean, you're the one. You're wearing a Yankees hat. You tell me.
0: Uh, I, well, I was. I, you know, I have a Yankees hat on specifically because you have a, a red red socks hat on. Um, um, I'm yes, he did reach. He did a, reach sixty two. Okay, good. I'm the loser that gets baseball hats based off of color and fit, and not necessarily based off of uh off of the team. I w- if if. The there's there's something weird with like sports, like team hats where MLB teams get different like colors. Like you like I could get this hat with like red or green on it, but I couldn't do that if I wanted like a Chargers hat. Like if I wanted a Los Angeles, which I do, I want a Chargers hat but I can only get it in the powder blue. And there's, I just don't wear anything that's powder blue. And so I don't, I can't really justify wearing. It's just very bright for me, man. It's too bright. So I can't, I can't justify getting it. So, okay. Random aside about hats.
2: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum! And how you get the most out of select can't miss events with access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority, notified, and Amex Card member benefits at select events. You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com/slash with Amex.
3: I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom—a performance-enhancing broom. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate.
0: Um, Jacob Padilla had a really interesting comment in his, his padding the stats column. This week where he said that in a lot of ways to him, the Indiana game was Mickey Joseph's first game as the interim coach. And in, in that way, Jacob liked a lot of what he saw from Mickey Joseph. So Nebraska beats Indiana um, 35 to 21. If I've got that score correct. And Trey Palmer had a good game. Anthony Grant had a good game. Um, There were some nice individual performances Mickey Joseph kind of gets to use Jacob's wording thrust into a no-win situation as he takes over as interim coach ahead of Oklahoma. They get the doors blown off. He makes the DC change and then you go into a bye week and you can really sort of say, okay, this is how we want to do things going forward. Um, do, do you agree with that sort of line of thinking that this was like Mickey Joseph's first sort of, it was a week zero, man, it was a year zero in, in in his first week against Oklahoma. Do you, do you sort of agree with that? And if so, what were your impressions of of this game?
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a fair way to look at it. Um, uh, you know, a week zero would be the way, um, and you know, nothing you can do. Though you play the cards that you're dealt, I did enjoy after. <laughs> After that Oklahoma game, Mickey Joseph calling on his time in the Oklahoma uh, NAIA ranks said, you know, this wasn't Oklahoma panhandle coming to town. This was this was OU. So uh, the, you know, size of that challenge was apparent to everyone. You, you make another change after that game and with Shenander and you have a week to basically kind of reset, you know, you're not picking up somebody else's chessboard in, in the middle of a game. You get to start, start over and got the results they needed against Indiana. Uh, the defensively got stops, which was a big thing. They, Nebraska had a, a lot of trouble getting off the field and third down Indiana's offense, I think is fairly limited and was without two, its top two receivers in that game. So, you know, We'll see. They're they're playing another team this week uh, whose offense is fairly limited. And if you can put together another strong defensive performance, I mean, look, no one's going to confuse this Nebraska defense in 2022 with, you know, Iowa or one of the league's best. But you just got to be a little bit functional. And if slowing things down, simplifying things uh, allows them to do that, the offense holds up it, its its end. Nebraska can be in
0: these games, all of the games they have left, minus maybe Michigan. Did the did the way that Oklahoma looked against Kansas State and then against TCU, and so they they blow out Nebraska and then they lose back to back weeks immediately after? Did the way that either of those games look? Did that change maybe the way that you viewed? the Nebraska game, or did you just take it as like, you know, this was, this was a, this was a lost game. This was a nothing game, the the Nebraska OU game. And, you know, we're not going to learn much about it.
1: Yeah, no, I didn't treat the OU game that way going in, so it would be unfair to treat it that way now. I mean, I I think, uh, well, I know I thought, and I think a lot of people thought like, okay, you make that, the Scott Frost change before that game, and let's see what a new voice can get you. And, you know, I I think that only kind of lends to Jacob's point about how that really wasn't didn't feel like a true start of the Joseph era because... Seeing Oklahoma do that to Nebraska, which the defense wasn't in a good spot at that point, uh, and then go on and do what the Sooners have done the past two weeks, it does it underscores how big of a challenging just scenario that was. Um, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, diminish the fact that we we thought Nebraska's defense was was really struggling at that point, and it really struggled against Oklahoma. It's it's really about what they do going forward so it's it's hard not to look back and kind of schedule watch with some of these that teams you've already played uh, i mean northwestern's offered nebraska no votes of confidence or no help so far either so it's just uh we'll use the coaching cliches here you know it's kind of just a week-to-week season that's fair um
0: for anybody listening to this if you guys want an in-depth preview breakdown of Rutgers. Go listen to the IE preview podcast. That's Brandon's show. He's got an excellent review or preview of Nebraska's game against Rutgers. Also, make sure that you are subscribed to hillvarsity.com. There's a lot of excellent content on the website right now. So go to hillvarsity.com backslash subscribe. Use the code VARSITY, all caps, to make sure that you get everything, everything that you want to read, everything that you don't want to read. It's all there. Um, I want to talk to you about coach dismissals this week brandon because there was a wild one um well there were two after week five one of them was like all right you know this guy probably shouldn't have been hired in the first place the other one caught a lot of people off guard and he actually had some of the best players on the team tweeting out like concerning things um, so Carl Durrell gets fired at Colorado. He was 0 five. That team looks like one of the worst in the country. So that one wasn't a surprise. Wisconsin fires Paul Christ after losing to Illinois. And I saw a lot of commentary on social media, which I know is not you know super representative of the fan base, but I saw a bunch of like, you can't lose the way that Wisconsin lost to Illinois. I've got they so they've been outscored 86 to 31 over the last two weeks. Um, so they look bad. And they're two and three. But Paul Chris is also 67 and 26 as a head coach at Wisconsin, and he gets dismissed. And you have Jonathan Taylor, not – (laughs) no. No, it's not Jonathan Taylor. You have Braylon Allen tweeting, essentially, like, if you're against Paul Chris, you're against this team. And so you got some interesting stuff going on in Wisconsin. Did this firing, dismissal, parting of ways, whatever the team wants to term it, did this catch you by surprise?
1: Yeah, it, it, the Chris firing shocked me, um, you know, and I, and I can get it. I think it was Jesse Temple had a really great kind of long write up of, hey, here's why this happened at Wisconsin uh, for the athletic. And a lot of it read pretty familiar to me from um, I mean, I was just kind of getting started in media when uh, Bill Callahan was fired. Um, And then obviously remember the Bo Pelini era quite well, Uh, we were covering that one at Hale Varsity, but even thinking back to just kind of observing Solich, like, which those were the two that drew some pretty close comparisons, because the numbers are really pretty close between Chris Pelini, and then Solich. and I think the closer you were to Wisconsin in this instance or the closer you were to Nebraska in those instances, like the more you could kind of be like, yeah, it's tough. But I see it, you know, with Solich, it was recruiting with Polini. It was pretty similar to, I think, where Wisconsin was at. It's like, yeah, you're at a high level, but fans are always going to want a little bit more until you reach the ultimate level. Um so, and there was some recruiting stuff with with Chris as well. It sounds like, but one of the things that defines Wisconsin football over the past well thirty years is being the program that's kind of removed from, I guess, the regular rat race, the the trends in college football. Because there's nothing more trendy right now than to fire your head coach and pay however much it costs. It seems. So, I mean, the last coach that got fired was the one that got fired to make way for Barry Alvarez. And then basically the modern Wisconsin program we know now goes on from that. And they they lost two coaches but didn't fire anybody. So jumping, like, it, it brings you back. It removes kind of that special trait that you have of being a little bit of exempt. And it's, it's a big gamble, uh, you know. If that unique trait of stability kind of gets you to perennial West favorite, which there's probably not going to be a division pretty soon um, and a top 15 ranking almost every year. Yeah, it's natural to want more than that to see if you can get all the way to the top, but it comes with a pretty big deal of risk. So I was surprised to see Wisconsin make the move period, but specifically surprised to see him do it this early.
0: We got a couple of think pieces last season when coaches got fired in season. He said it's trendy to fire your coach and pay a big, huge sum to do so. It's also trendy to do that in the middle of a season. Like, if, if we're this is the, this was the fifth Power Five head coach that's been fired in the first five weeks of the season. Um, it's we got we got some think pieces last year where essentially it was looking at like there are only X number of teams that could win a national championship every single season or any given season. So if you're hiring a coach at any program with the intention of winning championships, more often than not, whoever you hire is going to be considered a quote unquote failure of a hire because he didn't win a championship. Wisconsin can Wisconsin win a national championship right now in, in like this era of college football. I, you could probably get the, the guy that thinks that they could get Nick Saban and he would tell you, yeah, sure, they probably could. But I think most people would say no, not unless there are major changes and not unless Ohio State implodes, like because you still have to deal with Ohio State in your conference. Um, so it you know, we, we had there was a bunch of conversation last year about schools need to certain schools need to, quote unquote, accept their lot in life. And, like, and hire and fire and retain and all this other stuff in the athletic departments um, based on, like, relative expectations. Like, no, keep your keep in your lane, so to speak. Um, and I feel like we're going to get a little bit more of that this season as coaches continue to get fired because we've seen – You know, Nebraska fired Scott Frost. We've seen a couple of Pac-12 programs fire. We've seen Georgia Tech get rid of Jeff Collins, who just never won anything at Georgia Tech, but also changed them from a triple option offense to a more modern offense, which is going to – I feel like that's going to take five or six or seven or longer years to really, like, get yourself away from that because the recruiting is so different. Um, He gets a few years, and then he's gone. And now we've got Paul Chris at Wisconsin – I, I guess – here's the kind of jumping off point I want. Do you do you sort of agree with that line of thinking that teams – there are only a handful of teams who could win a national championship in any given year, and if you're not one of those teams, you should be fine with nine wins. You should be fine with what Paul Chris gives you. You should be fine with the random season where you lose by 20 points to Illinois.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> – that's always the zoomed out view, I think, um, and I, I get it. It's the practical and pragmatic approach. That said, I think it's hard to effectively tell a fan base, like, "Hey, stop dreaming!" Like, you've got a really good job. You have a nice house, a nice car. Like, you don't need you don't need a bigger house and a bigger car. I mean, because that's effectively what it is. And and the, those programs that kind of occupy that space stand out a little bit like in Wisconsin was one of those Iowa is maybe the the classic example and how much longer is Ferentz going to go um, is that the key to Iowa being like hey you know what we're just going to do our thing We're going to win the division every couple of years, and then we get to take a shot at the Big Ten Championship. And if you win that, you're in the playoff. Well, The problem is is (laughs) you've got an Ohio State there that's basically like a pre-playoff playoff playoff game because that's how good you have to be, not just like execution-wise, but athlete-wise, how good you have to be to be in playoff contention. So if Wisconsin is jumping into the well, we're going to do everything we can to be the next Clemson, which I don't think anybody would say they they should think that they can be Clemson right now, but that, that's kind of the bet that they're making. How many of those programs are even left? Like Oklahoma State maybe comes to mind, but even that, like I don't know all of the inner workings at Oklahoma State of like, are they good with just like what Gundy has gotten them? Because I look at it and I'm like, that's really good. Um, like, you should be happy with that, which Fancy. goes back to, well, exactly. And it's like, and who am I to say, Oklahoma State fans, be happy. This is great. You could fire him or he could leave. And then it's just, you're like cast into the randomness of coaching coaching hires, um, which is tough to do.
0: And the other thing that sort of um, gets in the way of, you know, an athletic department, athletic director or a chancellor or a president that's like trying to make these decisions or going into these hires is the fact that like, let's project three, four years from now, whenever the the, like the full big payout is coming from this next meteorites deal, Wisconsin's going to be making the same money that Ohio state is. When Ohio state goes to the college football playoff, the revenue from that playoff appearance is going to get distributed throughout the conference. Wisconsin's athletic department is going to be able to tell itself look at all this money we're getting in. We need to invest it back into the, the football program so that we can be competitive in recruiting, so we can be competitive with facilities, so that we can be competitive with coaching salaries and all this other stuff, keeping up with the Joneses. And when you're going to be doing that, when you're saying, well, look at all of this money that we're pouring into our facilities, you sort of like remove yourself from the realm of being able to even be okay with nine win seasons. Like when you're spending all of that money on your program, when you're spending all of that money on facilities and infrastructure and coaching salaries and things like that, it's one of those situations where like, it's no longer just acceptable to win eight games. Like Mel Tucker what's happening at Michigan state right now is fascinating. And and I guess to by extension, um, Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M because there's no buyout there. Like you have to pay him the entire contract. You have to, you know, so like, are you going to, are you going to want to lose $95 million on the chance that you can go hire somebody else that's going to give you to a national championship or you just have to eat that out and be okay with winning eight games and getting embarrassed maybe once in a while. And, you know, being a preseason favorite that, quote, doesn't quite live up to expectations. um, The money piece of this makes it so fascinating because I think that, like, athletic departments just sort of talk themselves out of or box themselves out of being able to operate rationally.
1: Yeah. I mean, the money in college football has always been kind of – Insane. Um, and it's only going higher, uh, particularly in the SEC and the Big Ten to start. But if it goes higher there, then when those other conferences, you know, get their chance at it, those go up as well. And I mean, like money just in college football, it's always been crazy. It just doesn't even seem real anymore. Like you're talking about Jimbo Fisher. Like <laughs> I I know what it is. And if, if things go really south, even from where they're at right now for AM, and m like, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Basically, I'm at a point where it would surprise me if – it would not surprise me if anybody got fired. Because, you know, I'll use Colorado and Carl Durrell as an example. The, the line on him that I kept reading over and over was like, oh, Colorado's stuck. They can't do anything. They don't have the money. The money always shows up somewhere. Like, it just – it doesn't matter. Um, at all. So anytime going forward, I hear like, oh, it's too expensive to get rid of him. I'm just be like, no, it's not. Gus Malzahn. Yeah. I mean, so really for me, like this trend of earlier firings kind of starts in 2020. It's a good example because you remember that pandemic year, I think the common line of thinking there was, well, these these programs are taking a huge financial hit. There's basically not going to be a coaching carousel. Gus Malzahn gets Fired. They own 25 and a half million. Will Muschamp, 15 million. Tom Herman, 15 million. We saw with Nebraska could have saved 7 million. Didn't matter. Made the move. So you have that. Uh, Obviously, early signing is kind of the hard out here for, I think, why this is happening earlier. But last year, you had two coaches fired in September. Randy Edsel quote unquote, resigned, so call it three. By the end of October, there were six. And as you mentioned, we've already got five as of la- October 2nd, which was Black Sunday for and Durrell. So I think it's gonna keep going that way. I think the Lincoln Riley to USC example will probably carry weight for a while. It'll probably carry too much weight because it's one example, but college football's always kind
0: of been a copycat's game. Well, particularly the 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 teams and the programs that have um, a a robust donor base or a, a deep pockets, they're going to look at USC and say, "Okay, well, all we have to do is just go poach somebody, and then we'll rebuild through the transfer portal, and we'll be competing for a conference title in year one." Even though USC probably, you know, they, it was it's it's the it's the meme where it's the half-drawn horse, like the completely detailed version of the horse is the offense and the scribble of from the four-year-old is the defense like their defense sucks it's very bad um and they probably i don't think they're going to win a pac 12 title they, i think they'll get there but i don't think they're going to win the title um, but if they get there i think it's going to lead to a bunch of teams maybe texas a&m that says okay well we can do that we can just we can just do that now i was listening to kyle Whittenham at utah talk about Um, his press conference on Monday and he was asked about sort of this exact thing that's happening. Coaches getting fired in season, coaches getting fired earlier and earlier. And he pointed to the early signing period. That's where I want to go next. That is, that's leading this in a bunch of ways because like, yes, teams want to be able to have a long runway to, um, to sort of vet your coach to figure out who's going to be the, like the right guy, but you need that long runway because you basically have to have your signing class done in December because we have two signing periods right now, one in December, one in February, but we've seen and heard from coaches all over the country who say, basically like you have to be done in December because kids, there's just not going to be a ton left in February. There's going to be, you know, the Josh Connerlies that sort of like, you know, straggle on out there. Um, But for the most part, your class needs to be done in December. And unless you want to, you know, deal with like an Arizona State situation where your class just sucks and it really is going to set your program back a little bit, um, you have to have a coach that can come in and, you know, have the time to build a class like right away. And you could even look at USC where Lincoln Riley did it all with transfers. I mean, they had like six high school freshmen. So, like, if some of those transfers don't immediately hit the way that they think they're going to, like, this is a completely different conversation. And you've got, you know, you've got really wide variance taking transfer players who are in the portal for whatever reason. Some of the guys, you know, we, we they go into the portal. We look at the player who's coming from a power five school, maybe an SEC school who was a high four star recruit, maybe close to a five star recruit, but just never played at his previous school and we're like, oh, he's going to, he's going to step right in and be immediately beneficial. And it's not always the case. Um, so do you, do you, do you think this is a problem? First of all, like, do you think that this is an issue, the early signing period? And, And if, if so, like, would you like to see it pushed so that maybe we're not getting these in season coaching firings?
1: Good question. Um, I don't think so. I think the benefits to the prospects, uh, I'll worry about them before I worry about, you know, guys getting $20 million, $20 million not to work and guys getting new $7 million contracts. Not that, it, you know, that's an oversimplification, obviously, but, you know, I think it works, you know, it works well for for high school prospects out there. It allows them to get this process done if they want to earlier. And, you But it does, you know, and it's taken a while to fully see the effects of that, but it does move the timeline up, not just, okay, so mid-December, you know you're going to sign the bulk of your class. So you want a coach that's basically ready to go, what, the Monday after Thanksgiving, depending on, you know, what the program is and whether they're still playing or not. So that gives that guy like 20 days to do what he can in in early signing. Well, now what I think we're seeing is, okay, if that's – the higher date that you're hoping for, how long do you need to do this search? Because um, it used to be, you know, without early signing, you'd make a change at the end of the year and you had until the first Wednesday in February for, to hire a coach and then let him recruit. Now You know, I think it's getting earlier because these schools realize it's a, it's a massive decision. I mean, they always knew that, but it's a massive decision and you're going to want some time to make sure you can get it right. And I mean, like it's almost too much to even get into, but like all of whatever happens behind the scenes has to be crazy because instead of doing this all, you know, in a week where not many teams are still playing like the first week of December. Now you're reaching out or making contact or however that happens with anyone to gauge interest. And they're like, "Um, yeah, in theory, I might be interested in your job, but I got to get ready to play Southern Miss in three days. So it's just got to be
0: a little bit chaotic on that front. This is going to get more chaotic because I I, you know maybe i just like missed it before but i feel like i've seen an uptick in announcements or sort of like sources say players saying looking at the the first four games of the season and saying i've played in four games i can still take a redshirt year i'm going to redshirt this year and then i'm going to transfer i'm going to sit out so if we're seeing that more and i think you know that's that's one of those things where it's like with transfer portal window implementations, you're getting those decisions now. And then the player's just not playing for the rest of the season. They're able to maintain a redshirt year. They're able to sort of save the year and then figure out where they want to go. And maybe they've got a little bit more time to figure out where they want to go. Because as we've learned in college football, teams don't always play by the rules. Um, So I'll be, I'll be curious to see coach firings, in-season players deciding, yeah, I'm just going to sit out the year. I've played four games. I'm just going to sit out the year. I'll be curious to see what happens to some of these seasons. So Georgia Tech fires Jeff Collins. They go out and they beat Pitt. Pretty, pretty good win. Um, we'll see what happens with Wisconsin and Colorado. Um, they, they obviously just did it, so they haven't played a game since. Um, Nebraska lost. The first game after it fired Scott Frost, and then had a bye week, and then came out and looked looked pretty good in a win. Mm-hmm. And um, Got its, by the way, first Power Five win in 364 days. Um, yeah, wild. Um, Arizona State sucks; they're probably not going to win too many more games the rest of this season. So, like, I, the the thing that I'm getting to is, we're going to get situations where seasons are just like lost, like. Yeah. They're, they're just nothing seasons, and that becomes apparent, like four games in, like with USC last year, like the season was just done. like they they just they weren't gonna win any more games. It wasn't gonna matter, and that was just what it was gonna be. And for you know, you know for I, what does that do to the quality of the sport? like if we're gonna see that more and more, um, what, what does that do? do you think that that's a concern?
1: Yeah, I find it personally concerning. I think it's a really good point um, because it is going to be that way. Um, It felt that way at Nebraska. And, you know, in in that case, like making the coaching change um, as early as they did, almost added some intrigue because now not only do you have that to like, to talk and think about, which like I like to do anyway, uh, in terms of, you know, who are good coaches, how do you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but you also had the chance for a little bit of new life. That said, I, I don't know that that's going to be the case most of the time. I think USC last year was a good example. Arizona State, you know, seems like it's it's not a Mickey Joseph at his old at his alma mater situation, you know. Um, they seem like they're totally going to turn the page to something new and different. And they played pretty well against Utah and USC for a bit. I'll give them that, but um, yeah, they're not they're not in a very good spot. So, I mean, I think it's easy to look at this all of the change of say the last 5 6 years early signing NIL transfer portal and that's all that's all kind of poured gasoline on the fire but i think big picture wise you know this looks to me like kind of the continual and this has been happening since basically the sport started continual commercialization of something that i think we still enjoy and think of on a kind of commercial-free level. Like, why do you love college football? Why do I love college football? It's not because of the business of it, the the money that is made for the schools, the coaches. You know, it's something much more base level than that. You know, it's the helmets and the uniforms and the bands and, you know, everything that's involved on a college football Saturday. And that stuff's all still there. Um, but ev- it, everything just seems more and more professional like the conferences are different rivalries are dead etc cetera, etc cetera, because there's a lot of money to be had and having a season that feels dead after four games is probably going to be another casualty of that kind of quest um and i understand what schools do it but It's tough, you know, I think everybody sits back and wonders like, well, how many more of these things can I see just kind of fall by the wayside before this isn't the thing that I started out like enjoying and loving. So maybe that's a dark
0: and bleak answer, but that's my answer. Well, here's a here's a, a potentially bleaker hypothetical. Do you envision a scenario where so we've we've seen. Schools more and more say, "All right, we're four games in. You know, we probably should have done this in the off season. Uh, we gave you, you know, a couple of chances. Like in Herm Edwards' case, like everybody knew that Arizona State was ultimately going to fire him because of the NCAA investigation. And then they lose to Oklahoma State on the road. Okay, expected. They lose to Eastern Michigan at home, and immediately he's out. Like, 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 basically, like one unexpected loss, and he's out. So you should have just done it." you know, before the season started and then you give yourself even on a longer runway, maybe. Um, yeah. But so we've seen, we've seen that happen more and more where teams programs are just going to say, all right, we're four games in, you're out. We're going to find somebody new. If we start seeing more and more players say, all right, four games in, I've got a red shirt year. I'm going to save it. I'm going to go into the transfer portal at the end of the year. I'm going to, you know, play the field a little bit, survey my options, figure out where I'm going, and then we'll hit the ground running. Do you envision a scenario where in those lost seasons, quote-unquote lost seasons, coaches – like the next coach gets put in place during the season? Like they find the guy that they want by, let's say, like they fire their current coach in week three, week four – and then they find the guy that they want and they've got sort of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge agreement with that guy by like week seven. Do you envision any scenario where either like, you know, behind the scenes or just completely out in the open, that coach switches jobs in the middle of the year? Um, I'd be surprised to see a coach switch
1: jobs, but I wouldn't be surprised to see the incoming head coach basically take over before the previous season was over. So, Clay Helton could have done that last year, basically. Fired, he's available. Georgia Southern, a couple weeks later, makes its move. And I think they announced that Clay Helton hiring at Georgia Southern, if I'm not mistaken, in like early November. So theoretically, if he's like, okay, well, I'm going to hop in there, you know, we've still got our same offense coordinator, defense coordinator, we run the same stuff, but I'm going to start coaching now and start recruiting now. I mean, he did start recruiting then. Um, I'd be surprised, like, if we don't see that, if the circumstances line up in, in just the right way, something such as that, if the coach basically wouldn't be leaving his current team, because then you're talking about a coach who, if he's getting a new job, is probably in the middle of a pretty good season. Um, and you wouldn't want to leave that. But, you know, there, there'll there be a lot of logistical reasons why this can't, you know, to throw out there why this couldn't happen. But at the end of the day, I think it's like, you know, your job is to coach and, like, build teams, and we can worry about what offense you're going to run and not going to run later. Um, so it, it, it there doesn't seem to be any real reason that that won't happen in the near future.
0: Scott Frost coached a team team and it wasn't like they weren't in season. They were preparing for a bowl game. So the, like the the weekly prep was a lot different. But he coached Central Florida while recruiting for Nebraska. That was a thing that happened. And I, I bet if you asked him, he'd probably be like, "It was a nightmare. I don't really want to do that again if I have the chance. Because I imagine it was a bunch of uh, jet lag and completely like no sleep nights. Um, but he did it. And it happened UCF won their bowl game and Nebraska signed a pretty decent uh, class. If I remember correctly, um, maybe, maybe I don't want to be. It miserable. was decent.
1: Uh, it was most remembered for completely falling apart in like the attrition rate was through the roof, even at a high attrition. Rate the, okay, place yeah, attrition Nebraska. Rate, yeah.
0: Yeah. It looked decent initially and then everybody left, but that was, that was also true of like basically every class that he signed. Um, so so anyway, so like I I cuz I feel like it wouldn't be it, it wouldn't be the, the wildest thing if we saw if or if we got stories that you know, hey, yeah, this coach like coached out the final four games of his season at his current team, but he did so while also recruiting like under the radar for his next team and he had already accepted a job with the next team. And he was doing, like, prep work, like, setting the foundation, setting groundwork for that new team. Like, I could see that happening. Absolutely. And that would be a very – that would be a very different, like, college football landscape. Yeah, it definitely would. Um, I mean – there's
1: nothing stopping, and I know this is a little bit different than what you are just describing, but there's nothing stopping Colorado from making Scott Frost its interim coach right now, um, which, I mean, sounds crazy, but like, I mean, okay, Scott Frost is a bad example because his resume didn't come out of Nebraska maybe looking uh, looking its, its best, but say Colorado can convince Chris Peterson to come back from TV land and, and be its head coach, like why not? It's particularly for a guy like that who's accustomed to being kind of like a CEO type of coach. It's not his job to call the plays like it's his job to do everything that gets them to, in a spot to have the best plays. Like, why not? Like there would be a ton of upside, I think, for the existing staff because you get an eight game tryout basically with the guy who's, who's going to be there after you are potentially gone at the end of the year. So it it sounds crazy, but I mean, college football is pretty crazy.
0: Here's another why why not scenario. Nebraska is at, Nebraska has gotten to a point where it's like we need to just rebuild ourselves to like nine win seasons every year, and and then we'll build from there. We don't need to hit the we're let's hire Jimbo Fisher, let's hire uh, Nick Saban, um, Brian Kelly right now. May, maybe they are. I don't know. Um, Trev Alberts decides hey a guy that had a 67 and 26 record just became available <laughs> um, has intimate knowledge of the Big Ten West has intimate knowledge of one of the teams that we need to beat to win the Big Ten West uh, and is a pretty good coach as proven throughout his time in the Big Ten West why don't we just hire him right now and bring him in and go from there
1: are you are you saying Trev Alberts should hire Bo Leney <laughs> Um, yes, <laughs> their numbers really are almost identical. Um, yeah, I mean, you could. I, I mean, I think Paul Crist was such a uh, a unique fit for for Madison. I mean, the dude used to deliver papers to the football office as a kid, and. You know, and I'm sure that's made things immensely more difficult. That's part of the reason I was so, so surprised. But um, that goes back to our issue of like being willing to accept your realistic circumstances, even for a short amount of time. And well, the sport's not sports, not built on that. So I'd be surprised, you know, as much as it comes up and you do hear it pretty often, like, you know, people will say Nebraska fans don't expect national titles uh now they just you know want something close to iowa wisconsin like good football hard-nosed hard-working and you put yourself in the discussion um and you never fall too far (laughs) yeah i i agree that sentiment comes from somewhere but do that for seven seasons and then see where you're at because that's basically what happened with bopelini
0: yeah i would argue that a lot of these Um, hiring processes. They're not necessarily like, okay, well we can hire the coach that will help us compete for a national championship, or we can hire the coach that will just get us to bowl games every year. I think it is more because if you're a program like this, that could even attract one of those coaches in the first place, it's because you've been bad and you've been very bad. And I think in a lot of situations, the hiring team is just like, we just want to see good football again. Like we just want to play competent football. We want to, we want to have a, like a baseline level of competency that we need to hit. So we're going to hire a coach that's going to let us hit that. And it's not necessarily like, okay, we're going to hire the, you know, the guy that's going to hit a double every single game. We're just going to hire the guy that's going to be able to get on base anyway, in any, any shape or form. Um, and like, you know, I don't really know where I'm going with that, but yeah, I mean, I think that that's like, you know, I think that that's, that's part of this. and I think that there are certainly teams that um, go into this and and they're like, well, look at all this money we have. Why not us? You know, why not to go back to Arizona state? Everybody calls them like the, like a sleeping giant. Well, they've been asleep for decades. (laughs) So, Are they really a giant? If, if, you know, we've never seen them, um, but then there's a program like Nebraska where it's like, if you hired Paul Chris, could Paul Chris win a national championship in Nebraska? That's a that's an actual question I'm asking you.
1: No, I don't think so. Um, okay, I don't. I think he was pretty topped out with where he was at at Wisconsin. Um, the same or similar recruiting challenges exist at Nebraska. And, you know, Wisconsin had a nice run of bringing in some – like their recruiting level was elevating a little bit like pre-pandemic and then hasn't been the same since then. They did some – they made some strange choices with their recruiting department. And it just, you know – reading some of the stuff that's come out from wisconsin on this it feels like there was a sense that maybe paul christ and i think this is true at a lot of places we just haven't seen it in such a high profile way yet you know and nil is a big change um and if you've got a kind of traditionally minded coach who like really likes the way things used to be uh it's going to be a challenge uh it's why I think Gary Patterson basically stepped down middle of the year last year. And I think we'll keep seeing that more and more.
0: I don't think I've asked you this yet. So we'll end here. Who is your, your like dream hire for Nebraska? <sighs> um,
1: <laughs> I've been trying to figure that out. Um, <clears throat> I really think like In terms of somebody theoretically available, I think Chris Peterson is pretty high on my list. And I have not gotten any indication that he's in a rush to get back to football. But you look at his resume and it's pretty unassailable over a decent sample size. Uh, So I think that um, that would be my true like. You pick anybody uh, in this world where money doesn't matter, uh, which is pretty close to reality, I think. College football—you um, get a wave a wand and make that happen. That's that's one. I, I've long been a Lance Leipold fan, and now he's going crazy at Kansas, and it seems like he is emerging as the the favorite. Uh, I mean, the fan favorite. I'm saying like I don't think I honestly don't think Nebraska is that far down the road yet of of making, you know, identifying their top candidates, but there's a lot to like there. I think there's a group of coaches, good coaches out there, a lot of names that people assume are on a list like Nebraska would have. And I think Nebraska will get one of them. I think they'll end up in a pretty good spot. I was joking, but I did propose to our Hale Varsity Slack last Saturday that we just view the Big 12 season as a tournament to become Nebraska's head coach because <laughs> Leipold, Campbell, Aranda, Kleiman, they're all names that people have bandied about for Nebraska. Um, so let's just include the whole crew, you know, and maybe, maybe, well, look, actually it might look like this, this is the most likely scenario. You might end up with Gundy, but we want to just play Big 12 tournament for the Nebraska head coaching job. I'm
0: in. That would be uh it is, it is wild. Like half the league is like, has been name dropped as a, a Nebraska candidate or a potential Nebraska head coach. Um, okay. Chris Peterson makes a lot of sense in, in the sense right. where like, I'm not surprised that that's your guy.
1: Yeah. Given your location, I was thinking about this today. Let me see what you think about this. And maybe you can hop over to Evanston and get some Intel. It doesn't look like this Northwestern season is going to go. well. I don't, think, I don't think that Fitzgerald's getting fired there. Like, I don't think that's how it ends. But if Trev Alberts calls him, and I know Trev Alberts likes Pat Fitzgerald a lot, does Pat Fitzgerald listen in a way that maybe he wouldn't have two years ago? Because, well, last season didn't go well. You lost defensive coordinator of, like, basically your entire tenure. Uh, this season doesn't look like it's going to go well. Might go one and eleven. Actually, is Pat
0: Fitzgerald theoretically available? I think he listens to the phone call and then common sense sets in, and everybody in- involved agrees that this would just end in disaster if we decided to do this. I don't think Nebraska would be very happy. Nebraska's fan base would be very happy if Pat Fitzgerald was the guy.
1: I think you might be right. I'm intrigued by it. I'm not sure I'm not sure Nebraska helps Pat Fitzgerald do anything that he hasn't already done, which yeah. is the issue. But
0: I mean he's played in like Big Ten title games with Northwestern. Um, yes. So and then he it'd wins be like two or three games in the
1: <laughs> in the seasons in between those.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but see, like at Northwestern he can do that and have like no fear for yes. his job at Nebraska. He he does that one time and he's out. Um get, get fired yeah is weird because like I so I since I moved here, like I've gotten to know people that are northwestern alums um or like donors to the university or to the program. And there's just like a level of just like not giving a you know what about northwestern football that is surprising to me. like they've got like five hundred people in in the crowd. like they announced that they were building that new stadium, and I was like, for who? for the families of the players on the team, like, you need all of that people don't go and, but like, but they've also been bad. And so I kind of have like, I've been wondering the same thing. Actually, I've been wondering like, how does that end? Does, I feel like it would be one of those situations where Pat Fitzgerald says, this isn't working anymore. We need someone new. I'm going to step down and let them sort of go in a different direction. I don't know if that happens this year, but I feel like that's more likely than him getting fired just because of the years of service to the university.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, like, he's long been somebody where the assumption was, like, oh, they, they can't fire him. Like, not only is he the best player, perhaps, in program history, he's also the best coach, certainly. And you get to stay as long as you want at that point. But, you know, it does make some sense to, to jump sometimes before things have fully crashed. Um, so, we'll see. Not that I'm saying Northwestern's crashing. I was just... It's kicking around in my mind today. I was like, you know, if, I, if you told me Nebraska was going to try and lure Pat Fitzgerald a year ago, I'd be like, no. You tell me that now, and Northwestern's sitting there at one and four. I'm like, maybe.
0: I feel like this is one of those Brian Windhorst situations where you're like, you're like dropping nuggets, but you're just not framing them as nuggets, so that you have like plausible <laughs> deniability, you know? Yeah. Uh, I wish that were the case, but no, these are just <laughs> okay. these are
1: just the random thoughts that I have as I sit here at my desk thinking about coaches trying to figure out how you do this, how you know, like, it's just it's so it's so crazy. It's so random that I when you think about the money involved for it to be that random. It's it gets a little bit silly, but we'll keep trying to figure out.
0: And that's why we call it silly season. Um, now that I'm thinking about Pat Fitzgerald, what's the likelihood that he's one of those guys that just he leaves the job that he's currently at, one way or another, like is no longer the the head coach at Northwestern, and then just like fades into obscurity, like we just don't see him again.
1: Oh, I could see, I could see him. Um, I think we'd still see him at so every so often. Like I don't know for sure what age his kids are but I think at least one of them still in high school. um, Like I could see him being like, you know, we had a good run at Northwestern. It's time for me to let somebody else do this. And then he just like goes and coaches a high school team.
0: Yeah. Like, like Fox brings him in for like the big 10 championship game as like an analyst as like a, like for one day. And he, he talks and you're like, Hey, it's Pat Fitzgerald. He's got a huge beard now, you know, (laughs) one of those situations. Um, It'd be very strange to see Pat Fitzgerald coaching another football team. Another college football team. So, but now I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to add him to my list of, of potential Nebraska people. Dave Aranda is at the top of my list, by the way.
1: Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Um, I mean, that things get interesting with Wisconsin potentially in the mix then now too, with both Aranda and, and potentially Leipold. So, but yeah, that Aranda Leipold, maybe Campbell maybe climbing group like if you get somebody from that group i think nebraska did
0: pretty well yeah it gets fun it gets fun um all right man you gotta you gotta go you got stuff to do thank you so much for coming on this podcast it was good to catch up and and talk a little bit about uh the best job on the planet which is being a coach who gets paid to not be a coach (laughs) <laughs>
1: yes, it, it it literally pays not to coach football uh, if you've been doing, if you've been coaching football. So thanks for having me.
0: Like I said, uh, in not the intro, but in like the middle portion, like the bridge, I guess, um, make sure that you're listening to Brandon's IID preview podcast. Subscribe to it. Listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Do the same for this. Make sure that you're subscribed to Hailvarsity.com. One more time, shouts to Brandon for coming on the show this week. I enjoyed the conversation. Shouts to you guys for listening every single week and to Cam for producing this episode every week. We'll be back next week. Thanks, guys. A Media
1: Production.